bits and pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be. Servus, everyone. This is the Bits and Pretzels podcast and I'm Britta Wetterling, your Bits and Pretzels editor-in-chief. Welcome to this week's show, where we are bringing you one of the top players of the European fintech industry. I'm talking to Anne Bowden, the CEO and founder of Starling Bank, a banker and technologist who has built a name for herself, building one of UK's standout digital banks. Drawing on her experience in the financial heartlands for more than 30 years, building and running global banking and payments businesses as part of RBS and Lloyd's, among other things. The founder of Starling Bank stands out in many ways. She's not that typical 30-something-years-old male fintech founder. She started Starling in her 50s and turned it into a profitable business in a very short amount of time. And despite the current crisis, Starling is expected to turn a profit in by the end of 2020, thanks to a diversified revenue stream that's not just relying on transactions. And in our conversation, Anne shares how she has made her way up to the top of the fintech world, from how to build a challenger bank from scratch, to why she's not threatened by the big banks, to how to diversify your revenue stream to make your business profitable. And we've also talked about how to keep up your spirit as a founder, as well as your determination in the entrepreneurial world that has much more hurdles for women. I think it is. Um, it's harder for women. You know, it's harder for people who are not, you know, white males in their 30s. Um, uh, but when we get there, we are very, very good because we've made such an effort and we've worked so hard. So my advice is, you know, just, just put the effort in, just work hard um, and don't let anybody put you off. Just don't give in. Keep knocking on those doors. Hi, Anne. Thank you so much for coming on the Bits and Pretzels podcast today. Hi. I'm really, really looking forward to having a great conversation with you. I've heard so much about this. So, so you obviously are the founder and CEO of Starling Bank that has 1.5 million customers, got almost 400 million euros in funding and manages more than 3 billion in deposit. And your company is regarded by some as a revolutionary breakthrough in online banking services. Compared to other founders, you've joined the ecosystem relatively relatively late, with a lot of previous experiences in big companies and important positions. You even say about yourself that you are a most unusual banker. What does this mean? Yes, um, I decided after a long career in banking um, of 30 odd years to quit my job to start a new bank. Um, and I was in my 50s. Um, I'm a computer scientist by background um, that had spent a long career in lots of different banks around the world. Uh, and I, I came to the conclusion that banking was failing. Banking was broken. Uh, and I was ashamed to be a banker. And I felt that after the financial crisis, somebody should start a new bank. Um, but I never, ever thought it was going to be me. Um, I was afraid of taking a risk. I kept thinking, what if I fail? People will think I'm silly. Um, mm. But I realized that if I aim for something really awesome, really ambitious, um, even failure would be a success. So that's why I quit my job in 2014 to start a new bank. Yeah. Was it like a specific moment, you know, a day you woke up and said, well, 
today is the day that I have to start my own company? Uh, I'd been, um, I was in Ireland as chief operating officer of Allied Irish Banks doing the turnaround, the restructuring. And normally I stay in a job for five years. That gives you enough to learn about the job, uh, do a good job, and then sort of give something back. And I'd only been there for 18 months. And I was thinking, wow, I've got another three years to go in this. And I kept thinking, what I really want to do is to do my own thing, do a bank that's going to be very different. So I came to the conclusion that was going to be the day I was going to quit. Right. I did. And the first time I told somebody I'm going to start a bank and the words came out of my mouth, it surprised me. <laughs> right. So you mentioned that you had quite a career before you started your own company. Uh, you worked in positions at Lloyd's, Standard, Chartered Bank and, and UBS. And, you know, looking back of where you are right now as a founder, as a fintech founder, as one of like really the household names in the fintech industry, how did this formal life in the traditional banking ecosystem inform your view as a founder today? Well, I was always the odd one out, I suppose. Um, you know, I was in banking, I was in tech, and there were very few women in banking and there were very few women at senior roles in tech. And I was at the intersection. Uh, and therefore, um, I'd always been a bit the odd one out, the one that had the, the different ideas, the one that was pretty ambitious, the one that had lots of drive. Um, and therefore, um, I think that when I look at Starling and I look at my roles as a leader in, in some of these big jobs previously, um, there's a core element that's always the same. Um, I always want to do something that's never been done before. And I always want to do something that really challenges me. I love learning. I love reading. I love listening. Um, and being a founder brings all that together because you don't know what the next day is going to bring. And you right. always have to learn and you always have to be prepared to, to do a bit of pivoting. Right. And it's interesting, you know, how much your perspective you know, kind of changes when you, you know, take over a new role, when you take over a new job. So, you know, talk about that change. I mean, you worked in, you know, the very traditional banking systems, then you became a founder yourself, you know, working in a in a, in a totally different ecosystem, right? It's it's the fintech business as well, but it's it's a totally different role. So like, how did you deal with, with all that kind of change? I think that dealing with rejection is something you have to get used to, you know, as I um, in a corporate job, you never really have to fight much for a budget or you don't have to fight for airtime or to see people. And you have, you know, as the more senior you become, the more people you have to keep the show going. Um, becoming a chat founder is basically you're on your own and you're knocking on doors and you're asking for money and asking for funding. And most people tell you to go away. You know, that's the reality. The reality is that it is very, very difficult to get these things off the ground. Um, and the people that are probably nice to you are the people who are saying no behind your back. So um, huh. being, um, you know, being a founder, you need determination. And we have to realize that the majority of new businesses never get funding, never get the, you know, the seed funding, right. never get to the A series. Um, and therefore, um, your your will and your drive 
um, must be powerful enough to keep pushing back. And I think that's the important thing. Did you feel that since, you know, you were not like the typical founder, such to say, uh, you know, in, in, you know, somebody who was in their 20s or in their 30s uh, and with all your experiences uh, in, from, from, you know, to, to the traditional banking system that you kind of had an advantage? I had to learn fast. Um, <laughs> I basically spent a huge amount of time listening and reading about everything and anything I get my hands on. You know, whether it was um, stuff coming out of Y Combinator, whether it was um, podcasts from Stanford or stories or biographies of founders, I had a lot to learn very fast. Um, and the whole way of actually building technology and delivering product is very, very different from what judicial banks do. Um, but I had a... I. I had like a two-stage introduction to this. Um, back in, just after the financial crisis, I left RBS. Uh, I was working for ABN AMRO. I went into RBS and I had a big European job. Uh, and I left and I had a year in fintech. And I realized that what I needed millions of pounds to do in a big bank could be done for tens of thousands if you have different technology different working practices, different ways of going about things. And I spent about a year um, in, um, in fintech um, working with um, people from a different world. And I realized that there was lots I could do to take that into big corporations. And I did that. Right. Really, I'd had the bug by then. And uh, I thought that I could start a bank using these techniques Hmm. Uh, but it's a very, very different way of going about things. And I had, yeah. to, I had to forget so much as well. Um, lots of things that I was absolutely 100% sure was the way the world worked. L like what? No longer the way the world worked. You know, it, it, things like um, uh, project management, governance, change, uh, didn't actually help make things happen. Um, and forgetting some of those techniques and management techniques that had been hammered into me over 20 years and embracing a new way, way and a new way of actually engaging. Um, it was almost as difficult to forget as it was to learn. Um, but I had to do it. And uh, I was passionate about a new way of doing things. And it took a lot of effort. But then... I had to convince everybody else that I could transform and be something different and work in a way which is true tech. You know, right. I had to learn how things are done in Silicon Valley. Um, but the question is convincing uh, investors uh, that I could do that was quite a challenge. Absolutely. And it's interesting because, you know, today, uh, looking at the European startup landscape, people try to even find their own way, not looking so much anymore at how things are done in Silicon Valley. At least in my perspective, European companies are trying to find their own path, their own business models. And I think, you know, with the fintech industry, which is kind of the poster boy for digitalization, um, we see quite some interesting trends in, in the ecosystem, right? Yeah, I think that Silicon Valley has done tech. Um, I think uh, Europe um, is doing fintech. 
um, Silicon Valley doesn't have finance. I think that you have a very, very interesting intersection between tech and finance in Europe, mainly because of payment services directives um, and the changing um, regulatory environment in Europe right. that has really fostered this um, this creativity. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the fintech industry and the fintech business um, as well. Your business, for example, is less dependent on the classical business model uh, on interchange. Uh, last year, uh, less than half of your revenue came from interchange, which I think is kind of a key qualification for other uh, digital payment providers because it makes your revenue model less fragile and, and more sustainable. Was this setting up diverse revenue streams for your fintech business, something that you focused on early on? Or how did you decide to give this a topic, a huge focus of your work? I think it came from the fact that um, the end game was always to be um, a profitable organization. Um, uh, I didn't believe that uh, a fully licensed bank that has regulatory requirements and capital requirements uh, could be lost late making forever, like some um, purely tech firms. Uh, the our business model is is quite differentiated. Uh, we uh, we build tech and we build infrastructure for banking from the ground up. So we don't buy banking packages. We don't buy software. Uh, from vendors, we build tech and we have our own okay. engineers. Uh, we also have a, um, a, a proposition, a product, the current account, the checking account, um, which means that we can capture deposits uh, very cheaply because we're providing a service. Uh, uh, people spend money on the cards and therefore we earn interchange. Uh, but we also um, have other revenue streams because we are a bank We can lend those deposits out and we can make um, interest. Uh, we also have, because we've built this platform, uh, we have a banking as a service offering where we allow that product to provide um, services to other organizations. So it is a, it's a much more long-term strategy than um, other fintechs. Mm -hmm. We are building something that has depth um, that has resilience, uh, that can scale, uh, but it's also profitable. And, and that's the important thing because we're a bank. We have to protect people's deposits. We have, um, we uh, protect people's deposits with the, the government um, a deposit guarantee scheme. Uh, but we have very, very high um, regulatory hurdles. Uh, and that is why this model works for us. Right. I, I think it's interesting because you see that as, you know, some of the turning trends in, in the industry, uh, because for a long time uh, with companies such as Revolut, Monster or N26, and still with N26, uh, we've had the founder of N26 on, on our podcast uh, a while ago. It's a lot about, you know, growing, uh, conquering uh, the world. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's interesting that, you know, we see more companies such as yours and also some uh, 
uh, new neobanks uh, that are gearing up to launch uh, right now. Um, and these kind of companies looking more into learning f from the mistakes and ensuring uh, a path to profitability profitability uh, early on. Uh, do you see uh, this is like kind of a new cons consensus um, of creating good products at low cost uh, that is replacing like the good old uh, growth at all costs? Oh, I think this is where my background comes from. Um, I had to learn how to grow. I had to learn how to build things. I had to learn how Silicon Valley and the tech industry and the venture capital industry works. Um, I didn't have to learn how to be profitable. Um, uh, but one, you know, you have to get the product first, then you have to make it profitable. So I think that what you're seeing in Starling is, is coming from my background. Um, we have a very high growth company uh, that's really giving fantastic customer service that's really at the top. Um, but we also have a path to profitability. And once you're profitable, it means that you can sustain this growth and you don't have to keep going back to VCs, to venture capitalists all the time to raise more money. How do I navigate this as a founder? You know, looking at all the founders in our audience, on, on the one hand, I have to, you know, grow my market. Uh, on the other hand, I have to at least show a certain route to profitability. Can you share like some best practices about how you actually dealt uh, with this situation as a founder? And I think in the early stage of the company, to say to a founder, you have to choose growth over profitability um, is probably a subtlety that is not needed. Most startups, most fintechs need to focus on survival. Hmm. <laughs> right? And that hmm. is nice. one. Um, uh, you know, sort of sometimes I, I, I listen to... Um, sort of commentators and podcasts. And there's a huge amount of advice about choosing investors, um, selecting strategies, whatever. But most of us that are starting businesses don't have much choice. Hmm. Um, they, um, we need to take what's, what's offered to us and make the best of it. Um, you know, we, um, Starling was awarded 100 million by a capability and innovation fund um, that was set up to award funding to, um, to organizations that could compete with the big banks. Um, that, has, that has been very beneficial for Starling in that we've man managed to build a very, very successful SME bank. Uh, but that wasn't ever in any business plan. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was something where... We were constantly um, surveying the horizon for opportunities that we could take right. to, um, to develop our business. I, I think that um, talking to somebody about developing a strategy and um, choosing um, is not something that really goes along with uh, the, the VC, the startup world. Um, it's much more you have to just grasp every opportunity you get and never give up. Like, tomorrow is always a good day and tomorrow right. is better. It sounds a little bit as if you were like kind of critical, um, you know, re in regards to, uh, you know, taking VC money. Would you recommend against uh, 
that? Would you recommend startups to find your own profitable business and grow uh, slower uh, as a consequence? No, I think you should take funding. I think it is, um, you know, uh, especially the business I'm in, um, starting a bank, you know, you the, the entry level is 50 million. You know, you're not going to get a banking license unless you, ha unless you have 50 million. Um, and therefore, you must take funding. Um, the question is, um, the, the majority of people who start on this, um, on this journey don't necessarily um, have access to the people that, that can give them that funding. I was very, very fortunate. Um, uh, an investor found me. <laughs> you know, the investor, um, you know, I, talk, I was talking to the press, there were articles, um, and an investor read about what I was trying to do and really wanted a business that believed in data, believed in data science, believed in technology. And that's how I found my first investor. The second part of our podcast, which is our beer garden break. And as you know, we are a conference that was born in Bavaria. And even in these COVID times, we want to enjoy a little taste of Oktoberfest uh, right now. So you just have to imagine that we are sitting in one of those Oktoberfest tents, enjoying a sip of good old Bavarian beer uh, to talk about more personal stuff. But um, yeah. first... <laughs> First, what are we drinking to? Uh, we drinking to um, health. The most important thing is your um, health and your family's health um, and um, your career, you know, and, and on wealth is far f lower down the list. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> If you could have a, a, a beer at Oktoberfest with any person, dead or alive, who would it be? Hmm. Wow. Let me think. President Obama, I think. <laughs> Do you? Okay. Oh, we had him. Uh, we had him last year at our Bits and Pretzels event. Uh, he's quite a guy. He was just drinking tea uh, on stage, uh, not Ooh, beer, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> But good choice. Uh, uh, you've completed a degree in chemistry and computer science, and you've said about yourself that if you had to select a different job, it would be something related to fabric or fashion design. How does that, you know, having all these different interests and a diverse background inform or even help you as a founder? Um, I love design. I love fabrics. Um, and I love things that are beautiful and I think that apps are elegant they are um they're full of design and um, even our the envelopes um, and the the card in which we actually send out our debit card um is a design um classic mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and has been invited to museums yes I love beautiful things I love design um, I love color. Um, and um, shouldn't life be interesting? 
And in 2018, you were awarded uh, with an MBA, which stands for Most Excellent Order of the British Empire. That means that you are part of an order of chivalry because of your achievement in the fintech area. How did that moment felt like when you got the award from, from, from Prince William him, himself? Um, it was an absolute um, surprise. Um, I can't tell you what he said, um, but he he knew all about Starling. Okay. What did he say? I can't. It's a secret. But I went, when I went up there and they... Um, And he actually knew about Starling. I was so impressed. Um, and we had a great little chat. And um, I was so shocked that um, he was seeing so many people that day. Um, and he took the time to understand um, the journey I was on. Mm -hmm. Financial health for many, many people. And I was so impressed. And as a Brit, obviously, I have to ask you, what's your opinion on the Duke and the Duchess of Sussex decision to get independence <laughs> from the royal family? Wow. Um, it is so, so, so interesting. Um, uh, we are watching um, with great interest. Um, and, um, and I think they, they've done lots of deals on, um, you know, sort of, I think there's a Netflix deal and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd be very interested to um, to find out how what the next stage of that story really is. Yeah, I mean everybody is excited. I guess everybody's uh, uh, you know uh, watching watching uh, that. And you know, um, obviously, you you mentioned that you are one of of the few female leaders in the fintech world. I don't want to you know to stress you know that female topic too much because it's obviously there are more, more interesting topics to talk about, but. How did you look at this, uh, you know, your position in, in the fintech business? Um, do we have anything to share for other female entrepreneurs in our audience who are trying to find uh, their path? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, it's harder for women. You know, it's harder for people who are not, you know, white males in their 30s. Um, uh, but... When we get there, we are very, very good because we made such an effort and we've worked so hard. So my advice is, you know, just just put the effort in. Just work hard um, and don't let anybody put you off. Just don't give in. Keep knocking on those doors. <laughs> What was your most, you know, your personal most important learning on, on that way, especially about, you know, building and scaling your own company? I think it takes an awful lot of work and people will, lots of people will give you advice. And a lot of that advice is bad advice. Surprising how many people want to give you advice and it's not based on anything grounded. Um, hmm. Every journey is different. Every founder is different. Every business is different. You know your business much better than anybody else. Um, you have to steer that business and don't be put off by all these people telling you you're doing things wrong. You know, it's get the, you know, get the target in your sights and just go for it. How do I figure out whether I just got bad or good advice? That's like a hard thing uh, to, to do, I guess. Mm. Just try and find out something about the person giving you the advice. Have they been there before? 
have they you know is it is it something that they just heard from somebody else right be skeptical um but get lots of different views and listen to lots of different people and um read lots of different biographies um you know listen to podcasts there's lots <laughs> of things out there just don't st- get stuck on one view because that view could be wrong right Interesting. You you grew up in in Wales, obviously, and your business is in London. And now, and now this is a topic that you know kind of disappeared from the agenda due to uh, the current pandemic. But how do you look at you know the Brexit situation and what consequences do you see, you know, for the fintech industry and and other startups in the ecosystem? Um, do you wish you would have you know ch- changed sides earlier or later? I'm very very sad to be leaving Europe. Um, I'm a European. Um, that's how I've always seen myself. Um, but Brexit is happening and we have to get on with it. And we need to make sure that um, we make connections uh, with Europe and the rest of the world. Um, but things change and you have to live with change. And there's going to be lots more change in the world. There's lots of challenges in the world. We need to consider climate change. We need to consider um, some of the big political changes that are going on in the world. Right. Um, let's stop thinking about the past and start embracing the future. That's the best way to, to handle change in, in your perspective, just focusing, you know, keep moving, keep moving forward, don't look back. Yes. If you could only work two hours per week on improving your business, what would you do? Two hours of just thinking and writing a couple of things which are the most important things that you need to consider as strategic direction. Um, every month I take a whole day to write one email and that email is my thought process of where the business is and where we need to take it and the obstacles to getting it there and some of the options for uh, tackling those um, obstacles. Um, And that is a day when I don't necessarily talk to anybody else. I just think and work this thing through. And that sort of input, strategic direction, strategic thinking, um, can often be disrupted by the day-to-day urgent things. Mm -hmm. Unless you do that strategic thinking, you never really build a great company. Who do you send this email to? Or is it one of these emails that you don't send to anybody? (laughs) I send it to the board. Um, uh, And it is... The email is written to myself. Mm -hmm. um, And... I'm the recipient of the email, um, but I'd like other people to think, to see what I'm thinking. And I try to be transparent about that. It tends to be very, very honest, mm-hmm. very forthright. Um, I don't think you should lie to yourself. You have to be totally truthful. Coming to our toolbox, uh, which is the part of our podcast where our guests share their top three tips for entrepreneurs. Uh, what are your Three quick wins or tips to improve uh, your work performance as a founder. Number one. I think 
the first thing is to be truthful to yourself and truthful to everybody around you. Number two. Second is you're the pace setter. You have to actually make sure that every day is a day that drives your business forward. In a corporate, you can afford to get a couple of weeks that don't deliver something. Every day must happen. Number three. And thirdly, you have to be the spirit. You have to be basically the psychotherapist of your, of your organization. You have to be the person that actually leads and is buoyant um, and is the sounding board um, when things are going badly wrong. Um, I think those things are far more important than the skills in bringing out a a, a business plan or um, you know sort of or, or, or talking at, at, at a conference. Um, the founder is the heart of the organisation. Coming to our either or game right now, uh, and this is how it works. I give you two words and you have to choose one uh, real quick and tell me why you've made that choice. So the first one is obviously bits or pretzels. Bits. Bits for me are, it's all about when I hear the word bits, I hear about computing. I it, it's, it's tech. That's how I see the world. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Um, yeah, it's coffee. Um, uh, I think it's quicker. <laughs> you press the button on my machine and the coffee comes out. It's good. I'm a woman. Speaking or listening? Speaking. Um, I, I enjoy hearing um, what I say when I write. I love writing. And to me, that's that's me echoing what I hear around me. Um, I I love listening to what people have to say and distilling it and then writing it. And that's my speaking, if that makes sense. <laughs> Lady Di or Queen Elizabeth? Queen Elizabeth... Um, I'm all for strong women. Um, and I think Queen Elizabeth has been extremely strong. Um, and we need the elegance and we need the emotion, but we need strength more. <laughs> Conquer or compromise? Conquer. I'd love to be, I'd love to be one of those women that can um, that can settle that's be seen as being the common influence no I'm a woman who believes that um, in order to change the world you actually have to take a stand and um, yeah I'm ambitious <laughs> I'm not retiring <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever think about it in, in within the last couple of weeks uh, or like months? Probably not, right? Uh, in, in terms of retiring, I used yeah. to retiring in terms of retreating rather than okay. uh, quitting. Um, you know, I got another 20, 30 years left. <laughs> Tradi <laughs> Tradition or transition? Transition. I'm, I'm all about moving forward rather than lo um, looking back. Uh, lead or follow? Lead. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not very good at following. I like leading. <laughs> <laughs> Spending or saving? Uh, saving. Um, I think saving gives you the, so many options um, to do what you want in life. Um, mm, it's all about it's all about having the resources to to do what you really want to do. Um, when I started Starling, um, I spent my savings on starting a bank. Um, if I hadn't had saved throughout my career, I wouldn't have the option. Hmm. Numbers or ideas? Ideas. Um, I love ideas. Um, I think the world is going to change dramatically in the future. Um, and I'm getting excited already about how all these new ideas are going to take hold. And Bowden, thank you so much for coming on the Bits and Quetzals podcast. And I'm really excited uh, that I got the opportunity to talk to you. It was really inspiring. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. All right, that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and subscribe to our podcast to never miss a new episode again. You find us on Spotify, Apple or wherever you're listening. Next week, we have two partners on from Index Venture, one of the top VC firms in Europe who are giving you best practices on how to move your business into the international markets. See you there.